What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. There's something about the way he walks right now. There's something, there's something that's a little bit different about him right now. He, he, he goes across the river and uh, finally meets back up with his family after spending the night all in isolation, all alone. He, he's finally with his family and, and he picks up his kids, even though it had only been a few hours since he had last seen them. There's just something different in the air. There's that renewed sense of purpose, that, that, that confidence that only comes with, with renewal. He goes and he picks up his, his youngest son, Joseph, and he, and he squeezes him in his arms. And, 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 and his wives, Leah and Rachel, both see some, there's something different about her husband. There's something different about this guy. He, he picks up each one of his kids and embraces them like he had never hugged them before in his life. There's a renewed sense of purpose. There's a renewed sense of love. There's a renewed sense of, of life in his eyes. Maybe he'll, he'll hug b- both of his wives. I know that's kind of awkward, but he hugs both of his wives and just, just embraces them with, with everything that he has. Yeah, he's, he's come from this mountaintop experience, a, a changed man. He's different now. The whole thing is going to be different. And he looks in their eyes and he says, things are going to be different now. I promise. Something happened to me, if you can't tell by the way that I'm walking right now. Something's happened to me, and, and, and there's going to be some changes in this family. And I'm going to start leading this family the way that I should have been leading this family all along. This is what Jacob is now experiencing, having just wrestled with the angels uh, all night long. He's tired. He has zero energy. He's running on adrenaline at this point because he knows his brother is still coming and, and, and he sees that cloud of, of dust in the distance. But right now, this doesn't really bother him. He's got a plan and he knows that God is behind him. And so with his family with him. We start in Genesis chapter 33. I hope you guys are ready for 33. Uh, I, we, we got done with 32. We're in 33 and we're going to be looking forward to 34. This is a, um, a, a kind of a, a chapter in which, which there's a transition that takes place from, from an old life to a new life, but also from, from one scenario, we've put, a, we've put some finality on, on the journey back and now this is now the journey here back to the promised land. 
And so here we are in Genesis 33. If you've got a device <clears throat> that you're not watching this on and not listening to this on, I encourage you uh, to have a physical Bible if you can. But if you've got a device, follow along with us. We're in Genesis 33, starting in verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah and her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Okay, so he hasn't completely changed yet, but he is in the process of changing. Not everybody's going to get it right all at once. Jacob is still kind of playing favorites here. Jacob is still... Well, like most people, he has his favorites. He has the people that he, he enjoys to be around more than others. And, and, and he sees his uh, brother coming in the distance. He sees that cloud coming over. You know how it is in cartoons or whatever, where people start coming in with the cartoon, like the, 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 the big cloud, the mob that's showing up. And he's ready. He's ready this time. He divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two servants, and he put the servants with their children in front. That's who he cares about the least. In all honesty, I mean, I, I know this sounds harsh, but this is the way Jacob, Jake, Jacob, Jacob's mind is thinking, is that, all right, I've got uh, all these children. I've had um, children with four women, so we're going to do this in, in order of significance. Uh, so, so the slaves... Um, or servants, the servants and their children are going to be in the front because if something happens to them, I can handle that. Next up, it's now no secret that he doesn't love Leah as much as he loves Rachel. We've talked about that in the past. If you've missed any of that, you can go back through online uh, on YouTube or on Facebook. We have a few of them on our website. You can always go back there <clears throat> and check them out there if you want to. Uh, but it's no secret that he doesn't love Leah as much as he loves Rachel. So he puts Leah and all of Leah's kids right behind the servants. And then at the very end, he puts Rachel and Joseph, his two favorites. And it's no secret in this family who the favorites are. That's important for later. Let's keep going. Verse 3. <coughs> he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now stop again. I know, it was just one verse, but the, we got to get to this, okay? He himself went before them. Remember, in, in the chapter before, he sent everyone in front of him, and it was just him that was in the back. It was only him that stayed back there. He was way behind everybody else. In fact, he put his family across the river so that maybe Esau would get to them first even. Here's a changed man. He himself went on before them. It's like, this is my deal. You guys all get behind me. Let me lead this family. Like I said, things are going to be different. Let me lead this family. And when he left the promised land, when he left his family, he was a bit arrogant. He was scared, but he was arrogant. He didn't have very much humility. And here he is now, bowing himself to the ground seven times. That's, that means that's basically full surrender, saying, I am at your mercy right now. He bowed, he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. We're about to meet them. 
It says, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. I, I, I got to stop here. I can't imagine what this moment must have been like for Esau and for Jacob. Remember, it had been 20 years since they had met. 20 years since they had seen each other face to face. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have phone calls where they could call one another. I, I remember when, when uh, a friend of mine was in college, the only time we would ever chat was on the phone. He'd call me, I'd call him. And that was, that was basically our, our friendship for four years, five years was, was just that, that phone conversation. And, and to think that you wouldn't even have that at this point. You don't, you don't get to check in with them. You don't get to see that person. There's people that I haven't seen in 20 years. And frankly, I don't care that I haven't seen them in 20 years. And there's other people that I haven't seen in a few days. It's like, man, I just got to get back in touch with that person. I, I can't imagine going 20 years without talking to a sibling. I can't imagine going 20 years without talking to my parents. Some of us have so many rifts, so many things going on between us. Some of us probably haven't talked to a sibling in 20 years. Some of us probably haven't talked to a parent in 20 years, even if they're like, hopefully just ones that are still alive. I understand if they're not around anymore to why you wouldn't chat with them for over 20 years. Uh, anyway, I digress. I, I, I wonder what this moment was like. We already know that Jacob was preparing for battle. Jacob was worried about his own sin and everything that he had going on in his life. We already know that, um, that, that he was afraid of what was about to happen. I wonder what Esau was thinking. I wonder if those men were there with Esau to try to kill Jacob. I wonder if the plan worked for Jacob where sending all of these people ahead of him, sending all of these gifts, all this stuff way before he, Esau ever got there. I wonder if that started to wear down Esau where it was finally time for forgiveness. I, I, I picture this like a movie. Jacob bowing down. Esau coming up to him. And I just, I, I picture it in my mind where Jacob's on the ground, Esau standing up to him. It's silent. On both sides of the camp, Esau's camp and, and all of Jacob's people are, are watching. Jacob is, is before Esau on the ground. His servants, their children, Leah, her children, Rachel, and Joseph behind Jacob, a good distance off. And it's quiet. Esau picks him up. and wraps his arms around him. It says that it fell on his neck and, and kissed him. And they cried. 
Basically, Esau says that he, he collapses into Jacob. And they just start crying. Emotions from 20 years pent up. Fear, frustration, anger, love. All bottled up and just outpoured in this moment. A relief <laughs> on both sides. This is a moment that's a picture of grace. It's a picture of grace, this, this moment. And, and, and it's an encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you guys as well that even if we have people in our, in our lives who we haven't spoken to in a long time, there's still moments of grace. There's still opportunities for grace. And here's a beautiful picture of grace. If, if we can just expand on this more than we already have, just a little bit. But uh, to, to, to have this picture of grace, we have to see what grace does for us. Grace embraces the other person. It embraces the person. Grace envelopes the person with love and, and, and doesn't withhold anything. It's, it's, it's close. It's in proximity. Grace embraces the person and all of the flaws, all of the issues that they've got, everything that they've, they're holding on to, grace just it takes all of it in. Notice Esau just embraces his brother, flaws and all, everything that he is, it's an embrace in there. And it's like, I understand who you are and I don't care. I'm just gonna give you a hug anyway. That's grace. And we obviously, we look to the perfect picture of grace, which is Jesus. And, 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 it, and it mirrors this. Jesus embraces the person. He embraces us as we are. We don't have to get cleaned up before we come to Jesus. That's what grace is all about. There's no, we don't have to go take a bath before we get to, to, to meet him. He is the bath. He embraces the person. The second thing is, 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 is forgive sin freely. Grace forgives sin <clears throat> freely. In this moment, there's forgiveness between Esau and Jacob. In this embrace. And we obviously see that with Jesus as well, right? Where he forgives sin freely. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, how long you've been away. Forgiveness is always there for the taking. So it forgives sin freely. <clears throat> Lastly, there's a genuine reconciliation. There's genuine reconciliation with uh, with with grace. Now, I, I I need to just give you something here. The, uh, reconciliation means that the the relationship is now repaired. It's complete. And the way that Jesus does that with us is He doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. He gets invited into our lives, and that grace uh, allows Him to take over our lives. If we'll submit to Him, if we'll be obedient to Him, if we fully surrender to Him, then He'll take on whatever it is we've got going on. And, and that's genuine reconciliation when we are reconciled together. Before grace, before, <coughs> excuse me, before, before the cross, 
the genuine reconciliation was hard to get by, uh, hard to come by. And, and after the cross, all we have to do is just accept that free gift of salvation. And that gives us reconciliation. If we don't accept that gift, we are not reconciled with God. There is no reconciling with God outside of the cross, outside of Jesus. There is no reconciliation. It's only through grace, it's only through the cross that we are reconciled with him, that we are made one with him, where this, this perfect union happens with God and us because of what Jesus did. And here there's genuine reconciliation with Esau and Jacob. Now, a lot of us have a lot of issues. We are not Jesus. We are not God. And it would be ignorant for me to say, well, we should just get along with everybody. We should always have reconciliation. We should all, like, and, 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 and we should always be in the presence of everybody, no matter what they've done to us in the past. And, and that can be dangerous, especially from a church point of view, especially dealing with people because, um, some people aren't safe. And uh, there's people maybe who are listening to this that are having a hard time with this idea of genuine reconciliation, of giving grace to someone because of what they've done to you. Now there's sexual uh, abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's, there's spiritual abuse, there's, there's so many awful things in the world that I would be ignorant if I didn't approach it this way. Genuine reconciliation is, is dependent on, on you. As far as you're able to live peaceably with all. And sometimes what offering forgiveness, what offering grace, what offering reconciliation does, it might not do anything for that person, but it's doing something for you. That person is no longer occupying space in your mind. And I think that's important for us to understand today that it doesn't mean you have to be with that person for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that you have to be in a relationship with that person for the rest of your life. There can be reconciliation done at a distance. And honestly, sometimes that's the safest thing to do it is like, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to reconcile this, but I can't be around you. In fact, we're going to learn about that with Esau and Jacob. So I, maybe I should keep going, maybe. All right. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near and they and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. It's that same idea of like, we are here to serve. We are coming humbly before you. This is the family of Jacob. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. You might think that that's a nice thing, but the night before he saw the face of God and he was terrified of the face of God. 
he likens it a lot like that. Like, uh, I've seen your face, and it's like seeing the face of God. Now, that might be a compliment for a woman, but, but for, in this case, it's, it's like, I was terrified. Please accept this gift. This gift. He said in verse 11, Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. This is a a pretty big deal because uh, people wouldn't just accept gifts from enemies. And so for for Esau to accept this gift from Jacob, it was saying that the hatchet is now buried, the past is behind us, it, it, it's, it's now meaning that we are now friends again. We're now brothers again because this is now behind us. Now, I, I just have to say that this is a little bit of Jacob showing through. I, I, I think. This is a little bit of Jacob showing through Israel. And remember, his name got changed to Israel. Hasn't once been referenced as Israel yet. He's only known as Jacob so far to all the people around him. He also hasn't told anyone that his name is Israel yet. He knows that he's different. He knows that things are a little bit, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he, he knows that, that things are, are, are changing for him, but maybe he's afraid to really say that to anybody. And, and so he never told anyone yet that his name is now Israel. And, and I remember when, when, when um, Abraham got his name changed to, to Abraham from Abram, he, he told people, that his name was now Abraham. Oh, okay, so you're now the father of many nations, not just many, but just many, it expanded on the promise. And, and he was bold enough to tell people that. Jacob, for whatever reason, because again, he's a fearful person, he's afraid of what's to come, he's afraid that he might not live up to that name of Israel, he hasn't told anybody yet. Do you know how there's these little, seemingly insignificant moments in our lives, a a decision that we're going to make, something that we're going to do that changes us a little bit. It it moves us away from God just a little bit. And you might not think of it as that significant of a moment at the time, but that one little shift away from God happens before another little shift away from God. And what we see happening right here is Jacob is, is again, right now, taking matters into his own hands. He had just had this mountaintop experience. He had just had this whole thing happen with Jesus, breaking his hip, all that kind of stuff. His name gets changed to Israel. He comes across the river, a new man. He's leading his family forward. He's no longer behind his family, but in front of his family. And they're like, wow, this guy is so different. He bows down before Esau because he's, he's showing humility. He's showing that he can be a servant. And then he gets up, they start talking. And just a little bit of Jacob starts coming back through Israel. Just a, a little bit, something that he couldn't quite let go of back there in the tent. Something that was still, on his mind was was still on Jacob's mind and and he just kind of held on to that and it doesn't seem like much but (coughs) excuse me his urging of Jacob uh, of of Esau to take this gift again is is not relying on God for this he wants all assurances that everything is going to be taken care of Let's keep going. 
he doesn't seem like it's not that big of a deal yet. Verse 12, then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord, or excuse me, but Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at that and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Sire. So Jacob here is seemingly caring about his family and his flock. It's been a tough journey. It's been a really difficult journey for Jacob. Remember, they left under the, the, the cover of, of secrecy when they left Laban, and now they're, they're, they're moving forward. They had to go hard so that Laban wouldn't catch up to him. He did catch up to him, but he had to push these animals and his family and the servants pretty hard to get where he was. And then he pushed everyone ahead of him uh, after that moment because he was remembering Esau. So then he pushed his servants and their, all, all of their stuff hard again to try to get ahead, to try to get up to Esau. And then they had to turn around and come back towards Esau. And his family and everybody that he's got is just worn down. And so Jacob is like, I, I appreciate it. We're not going to be able to keep up. We're going to go to slower pace. You go on ahead and we'll meet you. We'll meet you at the land of Sire. So what happens? Verse 15. So Esau said, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Sire. So Esau said, okay, let me try to give you some of my people. Uh, at least let me have some people that, that can go with you. At least that. Jacob's like, no, 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 no. It's not necessary. There's no need. Let me just, let me go at my own pace. Jacob is seeming like a pretty humble and pretty awesome guy. Like, no, I don't want to be a burden. What does verse 17 say? But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And when I first studied this chapter, I was like, okay, so he went to a place called Sukkoth. It's probably on the way. He's probably just hanging out for a little bit on his way to Sire. But he built himself a house and booths. And here's, here's the problem. Jacob that deceiver came through. What seemingly was, was care for his family and in assurances to his brother that we'll be there, don't worry, we're gonna get there, just let us take our time, was nothing more than a lie. Jacob lied to his brother Esau again. He had gone from this mountaintop experience and when he saw his brother, once he got back into real life, things started to change for him. Things started to, like real life started catching up quick with Jacob and it wasn't anymore. He, 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 he quickly lost the name of Israel and started becoming Jacob. <coughs> it says that in the map, if you can see this online, if you're watching on a podcast I'm, or, or listening on a podcast, I'll try to explain it to you. So they're right here. Uh, there's the river Jabbok right in here. So this was Jacob's 
journey with all of his friends. Mahanaim is right here. That was a pretty big moment. That's where he saw the angels. Uh, and, and then he built this thing at Peniel. Um, right here's the river. So then they meet right here in Peniel. That's where Esau came from. So Esau's coming from down here, which is where Sair is. uh, And Esau came up to meet him right there. They met right there. And Jacob said, okay, yeah, we're going to follow you back down to Sair, but we're going to go at our own pace. The problem is Jacob had to go, uh, he he went to Sukkoth, which is north. (laughs) North, I'm going to say north, uh, northwest, if, if this is, if this is north. It is. That's north. Jacob goes to Sukkoth. He had no intention whatsoever to go down to Sire. There was nothing in Jacob that was like, yeah, sure, we'll go to Sire. He lied. He knew he was going to Sukkoth that whole time. He lied to his brother. And a little bit of Israel got chipped away again. Steps backward are often slow and methodical. Jacob started on this this journey of with somewhat of a relationship with God, but it was more of a transactional relationship with God. And then he has this beautiful experience with Jesus where it's just him and Jesus and his name gets changed. He's clinging to Jesus. He's doing the right stuff. And Jesus changes his name to Israel. And I find this so relatable. We have these great experiences. We have these great moments. And then what happens is we get back. We can't just stay in those moments for the rest of our lives. Otherwise, we're, we're just never going to do anything anymore. Jacob couldn't just stay wrestling with Jesus and clinging physically to Jesus for the rest of his life. He had to go out. He had to keep facing his past. And you know, the easiest thing to do is just to go back to the way that we were. It's hard to forge ahead. It's hard to change. It's hard to become a different person. Especially when that adrenaline wears off, when that spiritual high wears off and somebody cuts you off in traffic or somebody says a snide remark at, at, at work or, 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 or something is happening with the family, you get in an argument with your spouse, it's, it's hard to continue to be Israel, isn't it? <coughs> Steps backward are often slow and methodical. You think about somebody who relapses, and I think I've shared with this before, but somebody who relapses, they, <clears throat> it, it, it's not something that on a, uh, on a whim starts to happen. It's usually planned. Maybe not consciously planned, but at least subconsciously planned. If, if you're somebody who struggles with porn, you'll make sure that you can navigate your schedule in a way that that makes sure that nobody's home when you're home. That you're isolated. People who want to sin are often going to start isolating. And, and, and that's a danger, uh, especially with people who are addicts. They, they reach out for help. They want help. And then, man, it, it's hard to change. 
I'm just going to go back to what I know. You start isolating a little bit. No, I'm not going to make it this week to AA. I'm not going to make it this week to, to our group. I'm not going to make it this week to, to church. I'm not going to make it to our community group. I, I've got some other stuff going on. Steps backward are often slow and methodical. It wouldn't hurt if I just missed once. It's fine. Jacob's going to tell a little lie. That's okay. He, he, he's, he, he maybe at one point wanted to plan to go to Sayer, but it was like, eh, I don't, I don't think I want to spend time with, with Esau. And it's okay that he didn't want to spend time with Esau. That's the other thing, if, especially when we talked about reconciliation. There was reconciliation here. Things were going good. All Jacob had to do was be like, there's just not going to be enough room for all of my sheep and, and my goats and my family and, and now everything I've given you, there's just not enough room here to, to, to go between both of us. Abraham had, Abraham had to do the same thing with Lot. He was like, you take that spot over here. I'll take this spot over here. That's fine. All Jacob had to do was be like, hey, bro, I, I, I love you. I'm glad we've reconciled. I'm actually going to go this direction. We're going to spend some time over here. Let's get together for Christmas. It hasn't happened yet, but I think around Christmas time, around this winter solstice thing, we're going to have something pretty major to celebrate. So let's just start getting together for that. Uh, let's start having holidays together. We'll we'll hang out, but I'm going to be over here. This is the best thing for our relationship. That's all that Jacob had to do. But he's a coward. Jacob starts coming through Israel. One misstep leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. I think it's dark next week, you guys. I'm just going to go out there and tell you right now that because of these decisions Jacob is making right here, there's some heavy stuff that's happening next week. But let's finish this week first. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. And that's the way that the chapter ends. So Jacob's obedient. He goes to Canaan. He goes to the land, the promised land to him. He's back in the land that God told him to go back to. But, he, but he's not fully obedient. If you remember back a few chapters ago, you, you might not, but God told him to go back to Bethel. It was insinuated, it was inferred that Jacob, it would be best if he went to Bethel. And Jacob was obedient, but he wasn't fully obedient. God's desire is complete obedience for us. <laughs> Jacob did enough to get by. It's like, okay, I'm in the land of Canaan. I'm back in the promised land. He didn't get very far into the, the promised land. When he got to where he was at, I mean, he, he got to here. It's supposed to be uh, down here. 
but he's still up here. <coughs> I was thinking about that this week, and um, it, it, it's like doing chores. God's God's desire is complete obedience. Sometimes I would, especially like growing up, it's like, hey, you got to clean your room. You got to get this done, and 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 you you you'll you'll clean your room, but maybe not to the standard that mom and dad actually wanted you to clean your room. So you'll you'll clean it, but maybe you'll hide some stuff under the bed, maybe under the covers. Like I don't want to take care of all my dirty laundry because that would be too much work for me to do. Oh, that's a pretty good metaphor right there. Uh, yeah, so I'm just going to hide all of my dirty laundry in a spot that, that mom's not going to see it, that dad is, he doesn't look for stuff anyway, so he's not going to see it. So uh, I'm just going to hide this away, and, 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 and that's kind of being obedient, right? Like the room looks clean, everything looks good, it, it, it's sort of obedient, but when we're just sort of obedient, we're not completely obedient, and God's call for us, God's desire is complete obedience, and this is going to sound harsh, but in Luke chapter 9, this is uh, Jesus talking. He's, he's done some pretty awesome stuff. This was after his transfiguration when, when, his, when his, his, his God self broke through humanity. There was a pause in the miracle of him being human, and his God self broke through. Peter, James, and John were there. They saw it happen. Uh, th- that happened. He's fed the 5,000. He's healed people, and... Uh, People are starting to follow Jesus. People are starting to, to be like, oh, this Jesus fellow, he's, he's pretty cool. He's, he comes with some power. I think I'm going to try to follow this guy as well. And uh, it, it says in Luke chapter 9, so this is after some of those things happen. Um, this is Jesus. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, him being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. It's like, this guy's great. This guy's incredible. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's got nowhere to lay his head. So you, you, you want to follow me, you better be prepared to not be invited to places. This isn't saying that you're going to be homeless. If you want to follow Jesus, then you'd better be homeless. Sometimes we misconstrue that. What Jesus is saying is, I've got nowhere to go. People don't accept me everywhere I go. You have to be prepared that you are not going to be accepted if you're going to follow me. See, in this custom, in this time, they would take care of people. You could bring people in. It was a very customary thing that you would uh, be obliged, basically, to have people come into your home and stay there, especially travelers. What Jesus is saying, like, people reject me. And if you want to follow me, you also are going to be rejected. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's harsher, right? That's even more harsh. It's like, man, you're not even going to let let somebody bury their dead. Well, here's the thing, like... With the way that this is worded, there's an initial burial. And what would happen, especially in this culture, is you would have that initial burial. And then a year later, you would go back, you would get the bones out, and then you would put them in another spot so that they could now join the ancestors is basically how it was um, how it was thought to be. And so what Jesus is, when he says, let the dead bury their own dead, it's like, don't bother with that stuff. 
There's always going to be something that's stopping you from complete obedience. There's always going to be something in the way. Oh, let me just get settled first. Okay, so let's keep going. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who pulls his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, look, you want to follow me? Great. Here's what it's going to require. You have to be completely obedient to me. You can't do both things. You can't have both. You can't have your hand on the plow. You would have, basically in this time, you would have your hand on the plow and the hand on the animal that would be leading the, 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 the plow. And, and if you're turning back this way, I do this when I drive sometimes. If I'm looking back to get something, so don't follow me or be around me when I drive. But if I'm looking back to get something, I, I will turn the wheel as I'm looking back to get something. You go where your eyes are. And so that's why you're always taught in like driver's training uh, or when you're mowing a lawn and you want to get a straight line is to look further ahead. Jesus is saying, it's the same thing. You want to have a, a plow that's a nice straight line. You got to look ahead. You can't be looking back at what's going on behind you. No one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who goes back and tries to get something is, is, is fit for the kingdom of God. See, Israel is trying to go back to Jacob. He's trying to have his hand on Jacob and on, on the future, on what God wants. He's not being completely obedient. Good enough might be good enough for here on earth, but it's not good enough for God. Sometimes we take that approach. Uh, I'm sort of obedient to God. I'm sort of doing what I'm supposed to be doing. God's desire is complete obedience. When we started Restoration Church, I wasn't completely obedient for the first few months. I was trying to to keep everything kosher and keep everybody happy at the job I was at and then starting restoration. I was I was divided and I wasn't giving God my complete obedience. He finally wore me down enough. It was something I wrestled with as we talked about last week. And that was wrong. I know that those verses sound harsh. They sound like Jesus is, is, is asking us for everything. And yeah, <laughs> he is. God asks for total surrender. Jacob had it for a moment. His name got changed to Israel. But then, this is so us, right? We... He has this moment. He's like, I'm going to totally surrender. I'm clinging to God. But then he goes and picks it back up. Maybe last week we, we had an experience. Maybe um, during the service, maybe, maybe you decided that you were just going to start clinging. But then what's happened? The week, right? You had to go back to work. And then you find yourself picking up those, those things that you thought you were putting down. 
can tell you how many times I've put something down only to pick it back up again because like, oh yeah, I remember that. That's nice and comfortable. I think like Jacob, a lot of us are, are, are wanting Israel but keeping hold of Jacob at the same time. Jesus is giving these examples in this scripture to say, hey, you've, you were supposed to give all that up. So let's give that up. Let's continually working on, on total surrender. It's not something that you're just going to do once. It's going to be a daily decision to make that I'm going to completely surrender. Every morning I wake up, I'm going to say, I completely surrender to you, Jesus. Whatever comes my way, whatever this day brings, I'm going to completely surrender it to you. And that's, that's the prayer for this week, you guys, that we would daily get up in the morning. I'm encouraging you to do this if there's homework, if we can do homework. I encourage you just to get up every morning, say a prayer that says, God, whatever the day brings, I want to surrender it over to you. Keep doing that. I wonder what that would have looked like had Jacob had Israel done that, we would have seen a lot more Israel and a lot less Jacob. And there's severe consequences, you guys, for what happens for, for Jacob making this decision to not fully surrender, not be fully obedient. I'm, I'm, I'm issuing this as a warning, you guys. Next week is, is heavy. So that's the first warning. Second warning is, Give it up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for the examples, for people that we can relate to, at least that I can relate to. Help us with full surrender. It's in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.